Today's episode of Seven Yet is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. Yeah. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to episode 65 of the Send the Edge podcast. I'm Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J U M O S Q. I'm here with my co host, Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at Forvert. Say what's up, people, Chuck. What's up? It's Wildcard Weekend. Woo. With, uh, with amazing games yeah. <laughs> every single line is like six points or higher so <laughs> with uh uh yeah these games I- i'm actually pretty intrigued in i guess uh three of these games uh so we have titans at chiefs on saturday that's at 4 20 god's time eastern time uh falcons Rams starts at 8 15 then bills jaguars on sunday at 105 p.m and panthers saints at 4:40 p.m. I'm glad that they're getting the worst game out of the way first, you know, because I, I don't I, don't they always do that? I feel like that's what always happens. Is the early Saturday game was like the fucking throwaway. Because I remember last year, it's always the ESPN one too. Because last year, it was uh, oh, was it? Texans Raiders. Yeah, with backup quarterbacks. Yeah, <laughs> with backup quarterbacks. Yeah, that was awful. Yeah, that was a horrible, horrible game. Uh, it is so crazy because I remember last year they like the Texans like they slinked like they they just barely kind of got by. Uh, I think it was Matt McGloin. Did he start that game for them? I thought I thought it was uh, Connor Cook, but oh yeah, it was I don't Connor really Cook. Think you're that right. there's a difference. So. Yeah, same same guy. Con- it was Connor Cook. You know, <laughs> you're right. And then the next week, like if Brock Osweiler doesn't implode, they definitely beat the Patriots. But Unfortunately, he throws three. Picks. They had like a, they had, didn't they have like a ten zero lead or something? Dude, they were beating the shit out of Tom Brady in that game, and then Brock Osweiler threw three picks in the second half, and you know, Be- you know how beautiful regression. Yeah, beautiful uh, regression. But let's just start off with the picks, uh, so we can get to the mailback questions because we do have a lot of them. Uh, the first game, Titans Chiefs. You have you want to get the spread since I don't have it. Yeah, it's an eight point spread. This actually rose a little bit. It was like. I think it was like seven or something like that when it opened. So all these lines have moved toward favorites, if any of you guys care. All four of the lines have moved toward favorites by varying amounts. Um, so they, they figure Kansas City wins by at least two scores. Um, that would be interesting because I think if you look at how often Kansas City has actually beaten teams by multiple scores, they're probably the most underrated team in the league in that perspective. And the Tennessee Titans are probably are, – I mean, clearly, in my opinion, and I think in yours, are, are the worst team in the playoffs. So oh, yeah, easy. Yeah, I think they're – they're. Uh, I well, guess they're a little bit better than the Bills. Yeah. But the thing about it, the, I haven't had to think about them and the Bills having to – we should talk about this a little bit – having to be in the playoffs at the same time because the Chargers had a shot, and it looked like – I think the, the win probability or whatever, the, the win expectancy or whatever for uh, the Baltimore Ravens getting into the playoffs was like 95% last week. And then they just had a – crazy implosion and you were at that game so you want to talk about that experience it was i mean as someone who was not there as a ravens fan i just went because uh my friend hardy nickerson jr plays for the Bengals, so i was trying to catch up with him after the game and uh 
I finessed some box tickets, and uh, so I was I was still in the warm, and uh, I went outside for that last drive uh, where Andy Dalton threw that pass to Tyler Boyd, and I swear when he scored the touchdown, the uh, the stadium went completely silent, and it was get, it was getting loud in there before, and as soon as he caught that pass and broke the second tackle, like it was dead silent in that stadium. You, you could just see everyone's hopes and dreams coming to a screeching halt and in real time it was it was something else and then all these guys uh that i was i was sitting with and then you could like hear other guys in the stands like oh man we know flacco's not gonna be able to get us back from this one so <laughs> uh, like like they're like they're over flacco uh so yeah well, it's it, a good thing he only has a 28 and a half million dollar dead cap if they try to cut him this year so like there were one year away from him being osweiler like that is such an awful deal yep Yes, it is. Um, uh, what'd you do? What'd you do on uh, New Year's Eve? Because that was before. That, that was the pregame to New Year's Eve. How, how'd you? Okay. Oh, uh, pregames with the wife at a party, and then uh, yeah, that was it. And then we went to another party and got excessively drunk. Oh, very, very actually, sweet. actually, I do have a funny story from uh, New Year's Eve. So there was this hookah at the at the house that we were at. And my friend, he was, I mean, he was gone. Uh, but he knocked the hookah off the table, right? Sure and, he did. Uh, and the, since everyone was so drunk, like, they put the pieces back together. They put it back together, except they forgot. <laughs> like the, the busted glass? Uh, I mean, it, like, it didn't bust like a like glass. Like, the hoses kind of fell apart. But, like, once they got it back on the table, no one noticed that, oh, they didn't have the coal, right? So, uh, oh, we, so no. we, you know, they... I think we partied for like three more hours, and then uh, when we left the girl's house, who she was cleaning it up, she the girl was cleaning it up. She found the coal on the ground, and it burned like a half inch, uh, like a, a half inch circle into her into her floor uh, of her home. So she was not happy about that. But it's a it's a funny story because I don't have to pay anything. I didn't do it. Good God, dude. Uh, this one time, one of my friends, he like had just, it was when he was a year older than me, right? So this might have been going into my senior year. He came back from like school or whatever in the summer and his mom had just moved into a new place. And we were like, all right, getting the homies back together. Like one of the homies had a hookah. So we put it down in his mom's basement and they had like just gotten brand new rugs, right? And she was like, yeah, you guys are cool to do whatever. Just like whatever you do, like do not burn any of this shit. Well, we were like smoking the hookah, right? And it's a three hose. And I was like going across the hookah to like, we were sitting on like a couch or something watching a game. I think it was like an NBA game. And we were, I was like, count like one hose, get over the hose. Two hose, got over the hose. And I was like, I'm scot free. I'm used to like hookahs that at most have two hoses. And I just start walking like normal. And my leg catches the fucking third hose and it like burnt like the brand new fucking rug. Mm. Be an athlete next time. I'm sorry. Wow, we got super duper sidetracked. We didn't even make our Chiefs pick, Chiefs Titans pick. Uh, I guess so. If this game were, if it were in Tennessee, the Kansas City Chiefs would be two point favorite based off of this line. I think I would take that. Um, I think the Chiefs are a good bet here. The over under is forty four and a half, which is a little low, but I don't, I I don't know. This isn't a great game. I I guess I'm going to ride with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Alex Smith, who has the highest passer rating in the NFL. Yep, uh, I'm just gonna go with the Chiefs too, just because I think the Titans stink. Like the only, I mean, the Titans they have a nice run defense, but 
uh, their pass defense is awful. And here comes Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Jackson versus the world. Yeah. Uh, so Godspeed on that one. I, I think the Chiefs light him up. Uh, so yeah, let's look, uh, let's take the Chiefs on that one. Uh, the good. next uh, game is you go oh, that's the uh, the Falcons at the Rams. What's how much are the Rams favored by now? Five and a half. I think it opened up at like four, or something like that, which sound which sounded about right. This is probably a little high, but again, I don't I don't think there's a ton of value on this one. Yeah, what do you think about taking the Falcons to cover? Uh, I could see it. I mean, Atlanta doesn't really get blown out like that, and the Los Angeles Rams are kind of there. This is one thing that we've talked about. They're kind of big play heavy. Like they're okay. not necessarily they're not they're not they're they put up a ton of yards and a ton of points, but they're not like a churning offense like you think NFL teams are. Like if you look at their statistical profile, they're very different from most NFL teams. Um, they're very big play heavy, and I think you know Atlanta has enough speed on the back end of their defense that I, I'm not sure if you can get the big plays. Yeah, the same the same type of big plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's really interesting uh, just looking at. How the Rams finished uh, in the update series we have on SetNedge.com. Uh, so they were fourth in adjusted nets yard per attempt value, eleventh in sack percentage value, twenty fourth in uh, attack for loss percentage value, ninth in yards per rush value, thirteenth in turnover, turnover percentage value, twelfth in first down percentage value, but they were sixth in yards per play value and first by a mile in points per play value. So I don't know, like they can get stuck at times and then next thing you know, you look up and Todd Gurley's running 80 yards to the house or Cooper Cup is wide open like 50 yards down the field or, or Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods are making plays after the catch. So it, it, I, I think that the Falcons have enough speed on the back end to kind of eliminate or not eliminate those plays, but I guess limit them and uh, uh, damper their impact a little bit on that end. But it's, I think it's going to be tough for them to keep up, especially when you look at Wade Phillips versus Steve Sarkeesian, and you got Aaron Donald going against a backup guard and Wes Schweitzer, who is essentially your rookie. So, Godspeed to the Falcons. Uh, I'm I'm going to take. Uh, I think I'm, I think I've just talked myself into the Rams covering that spread. Like that, <laughs> I was going to say you just you kind of talked me into Atlanta covering that spread before up until that point. Yeah, but I, it's it's like well, let's think let's think about this. If this game were in Atlanta, the Rams would be a half point favorite. I no, could, the Falcons would be a half point favorite. I could buy that. This is this is just a really good line, honestly. Like I don't think it leans either way. Oh, uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up to you. Um, I was doing I'm, – I'm going to do a bunch of stuff this offseason about uh, – what do you call it? Uh, 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 situational football. That's what I wanted to call it. Situational football. So I was looking at third third and long runs because I feel like third and long runs are aesthetically like the worst play in the sport, right? It's like a pre-punt essentially. And I was looking at which teams are efficient at them. And in terms of handoffs, there's only three backs in the league that have gotten multiple – uh, multiple first down conversions on third and long, uh, six or seven yards or more this year, and two of them are in Los Angeles. And Taewon Austin got another one. So like, even like e- even to extend the the uh, the uh, Los Angeles Rams statistical profile is really weird. Like they're the only team that can efficiently run on third and long for some reason, and they just run zone plays every single time. Yep, uh, yeah, they're it, it, it's been, it's been it's been fun watching them. Uh, just you know, light people up this season, but I'm not looking forward to be done to my favorite team. But hey, maybe Goff shits his pants in his first playoff game, uh, and the, the Falcons move on. But 
Uh, either way, I think I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. But I think I'm just going to take the Rams minus five. Do it. All right, I'll put lockstep. We're, we're together on this one because every time we split, you're right. Uh, all right. The next game is the Bills at the Jaguars. Uh, I'm sure the Jaguars are a pretty heavy home favorite here. Uh, they are nine point home favorites. They were like seven and a half before that. So this line has, or I think it was seven. Uh, so this line has risen, I think, the most out of any of these ones, which I guess is interesting. I, I think it's probably because uh, the shady injury, I would assume. Yeah. Um, the over the over under the so the over under in Kansas City, Tennessee is forty four and a half. In Atlanta, Los Angeles, it's forty eight and a half. In Carolina, New Orleans, it's forty eight. And in Buffalo, Jacksonville, it's thirty nine and a half. Take the under, man. I <laughs> I'd be like ten ten to one. I really don't see how the Bills are going to score in this game, especially if Shady's out. Man, I I don't. How how are they going to move the ball? I mean, uh, the Tyrod narratives are going to be awful. I know they're going to be awful, and it's not. I mean, it's going to suck because it's going to be a national stage, and like he's going to get wrecked, and it's really there's really just nothing you can do about it. Uh, I mean, and that offensive line is awful too. Awful. It's not even that's that he, not even it's not even that he doesn't have skill players. It's that his offensive line is also awful. Right. That's and that's the part that really screws them up because uh, the Jaguars they actually finished second in sack percentage. Like the Steelers ended up passing them with that uh, Texans game. But uh, so the Jaguars are second in sack percentage value on defense, and the Bills are thirtieth. So uh, that's a pretty big discrepancy <laughs> right there in terms of uh, pass rushing ability versus pass blocking ability. Uh, the Jaguars tackle for loss percentage uh, skyrocketed throughout the back half of the season. They went from like 29th and now they finish the season 16th. Uh, the Bills are 29th in tackle for loss percentage on offense. So you have a surging defensive line versus a horrible, horrible offensive line. And then if your best receiver is uh, Calvin Benjamin going against Jalen Ramsey and, and A.J. Bowie, yeah, uh, good luck scoring points. Let, let's play a game called Can You Name Bills Receiver? I, so I, was just, I was just trying to think of who, who was there besides I, Kelvin Benjamin. Is Jordan Matthews Jordan, Matthew, Jordan Matthews is there. I don't know if he's healthy. Like has he played he caught a that, pass this year? Let's hey, let's Google it. Jordan Matthews, who is uh, Jerry Rice's like nephew or something like that. He caught passes from David Derek Carr. Twenty five after practice at the Senior Bowl. Twenty five catches, catches two hundred eighty two yards and one touchdown. Oh, that's awful! Eagles fans were caping up for that dude so hard after his his rookie year. So I can name. So we got him, Zay Jones. I think we're done. I think we're done after those three. And Zay Jones is like, I know from numbers that I ran and number that you numbers that you've ran. He's He's like horrible. He's the most inefficient pass like receiver target in the NFL right now. Yep. Uh, So Jaguars minus nine. Uh, I don't even think we really need to talk about the other side of the ball because I just don't think that the Bills – like if the Bills score zero points, I would not be surprised in the slightest. Um, I I will say if we are going to talk about that side of the ball, there are props for which receivers uh, get the most yards or which running backs get the most yards uh, in this round. And I would say that Leonard Fournette would probably be my pick. Like by by pretty much like a mile, um, just because Buffalo Bills is defensive tackles. I just got back off of grading uh, their forty three defensive ends, and good God, those defensive tackles are awful. Is Kyle Williams washed? No, Kyle Williams is okay. It's the fact that they're playing like 
they try to replace Marcel Darius with Cedric Thornton and uh, Adolphus Washington and like oh, Jarrell Worthy. Yeah. And uh, uh, Bills fans like to talk about snap reps, uh, about how often Marcel Darius was actually playing in games. But if you look at how many times they were getting ran on and how many times that Marcel Darius was in the game, Marcel Darius was in the game for more plays than there were rush attempts against that defense, right? So if you're playing situational football, you can kind of game it. So he was on the field for rundowns and off the field for passing downs. And now that they're playing those guys on rundowns instead of Marcel Darius, uh, basically the first half of the year they were amazing in run defense. In the second half of the year they've been awful, and it's been reversed for Jacksonville. So uh, yeah, Marcel Darius revenge game. It's almost like uh, you shouldn't trade talented players for six-round picks. Like it's funny, fu- funny how that works. Like I, I think we're at a weird place where, and I mean, obviously, Marcel Darius is worth more than a six round pick. Like any dummy can figure that out. But I feel like we're in a place where we value a draft pick over like players that have materialized a little bit. You know, like um, who's who's that? Who's that Alabama corner who's playing for New England? Uh, Cyrus who Jones. Does, yeah, he doesn't actually play for New England. Yeah, Cyrus Jones. He tore his ACL. He got tra- he got traded for he got traded for Chandler Jones, who just led. I think he led the NFL in sacks this past year. Wait, what? No, Cyrus Jones. Yeah. Was, wait, but we're not talking about the right cornerback then. Okay, he was like a second round pick or whatever. Oh, oh, okay. The, Actually, no, yeah, Arizona you, you pick. Are, that, you are right. You are that's right. what I'm saying. This, the second round pick that they traded from Arizona. Um, okay. Was it Timmy Jernigan was traded? Timmy Jernigan was traded for like the flip of like uh, early third to like a late second or something like that. Right. Like he was basically bought for nothing, and he was super talented. Yeah. So, and it's it's just kind of weird, like to see sometimes like when we talk about draft picks and draft pick for player it trades. Like, you're not going to get a six round pick that's ever going to be as good as Marcel Darius, or like, or if you did, that's that's like a historical outlier, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let me to get a six round pick that ends up making like going to a couple of Pro Bowls as a defensive tackle. It's very weird. That's I think that's one of the things I would do if I were running a team in any sort of way. I would honestly trade like fifth through seventh round picks as like these things are these are like very clearly like flyers. You know what I mean? Like trade these things for veterans that I'm trying to get uh, before they hit free agency, or just let my scouts like draft guys for like morale. But like the only picks that actually matter are the first through fourth round picks, and fourth round picks. Those come with like asterisks half the time. Yeah, it's almost like there aren't enough players for everybody in the league to be good. Um, yeah, so I, I, are we both going to take the Jaguars minus nine? Yeah, I was thinking about Buffalo. Buffalo from a power ranking point spread perspective is probably the play, but I don't care about that. It's, it's emotions. It's playoff season, baby. Yeah, Marone revenge game, or would it be the other way around? No. Marone revenge game, Marcel Darius revenge game. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't, you know, just, just going back to like a more analytical point. I just don't see how, how t- I, I don't see like how Tyrod won't just be running for his life for however long they have the ball. Uh, He's gonna be Russell Wilson. He's gonna be it, Russell Wilson all day. It's, it's gonna be bad. Uh, the last game of Wild Card Weekend is the Carolina Panthers traveling to New Orleans, the NFC, NFC South champion, New Orleans Saints. Uh, how much are the Saints favored by here? Uh, seven. It opened up at like five and a half. Okay. Um, th- so in Carolina, New Orleans would still be a half point favorite or a one point favorite. 
Well, yeah, I mean they they did beat they did beat them in uh, Carolina this year. So <laughs> New New Orleans leads the NFL in multiple score t- in multiple score wins, but I think that was their first like this, one, wasn't it? Uh, it could have been. I'm not sure. They lost their first two. That's yeah. all I remember. Uh, yeah, I I I think the do the, do the Panthers have any injuries here? Uh, no, other than like coaching staff and receiver, like their receivers hurt them. Oh yeah, and uh, that offensive line hurts them too. Yeah, it, it's it's not a good matchup. I think honestly, Carolina. How, okay, I guess Buffalo and Ten. God damn it, I can't believe believe Buffalo and Tennessee got in the playoffs. Because in normal year, Carolina is probably the weakest team in the playoffs, but Tennessee and Buffalo are just dragging ass behind everyone else. Um, wait, hold on. I, I I just got really distracted by something. So Alex Marvez just tweeted, or he tweeted like 40 minutes ago, but I just saw it. If John Gruden gets hired as the Raiders head coach, source tells Sporting News that Greg Olson is expected to leave the Rams to become his offensive coordinator. <laughs> what? I think this whole John Gruden thing just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. I it's just I, I think I tweeted this out, but it's like John Gruden coaching the Los Angeles Ra- or the Las Vegas Raiders is like the most like Gen Xer thing I could ever imagine in my life. Yeah. Uh, so let's get back to this Panthers Saints game. Uh, I I don't know what to make of that line because man, I feel like it'd be really hard to to blow out the same team three times in a row. I don't know. Uh, this team is bad, bud. They have they legit have like three players. It's Cam Newton drops back to pass or runs, and he either throws it to Christian McCaffrey or Tim Funches. Yeah, that's anyone pretty... anyone anyone other than Dom Capers could have figured it out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you saw how, I mean what the Falcons just did to just did to them last week, and. I mean, if, if Lattimore is 100%, like, I don't think he's dinged up or anything. Like, he can he can smother Devin Funches. Like, that should not be an issue for him whatsoever. And then uh, Cameron Jordan should probably have a huge game, too. So, yeah, it, I just don't see if New Orleans at full health. I don't see how Cam is going to score on them. And uh, on the other side of the ball, I'd, I'd like the Panthers' chances, like, to maybe defend the run because New Orleans' run blocking quietly has gotten a little bit worse over, like, the past three games or ever since that uh, that first Falcons game on Thursday night. Like, their run blocking has, like, steadily declined since then. But And I, I do like, you know, Quan Shores, Tyler Tulele. Like, they've been pretty good this year against they, the Carolina has a really good defense. They do have a really yeah. good defense. So that's, that's why the eight points just kind of feels like a lot. The problem is New Orleans can just get at you in so many ways. Like, Drew Brees is, like, the third outlet on that team. And Michael Thomas is breaking records, you know, his, his first two years in the league. Kamara's about to be rookie of the year. And Mark Ingram, who perpetually is getting, you know, replaced in the eyes of, you know, fantasy Twitter, is still putting up numbers like crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I just, I, I think with, uh, with just the advantage that New Orleans defense has in terms of overall skill and athleticism, uh, I think it's going to be pretty hard for the Panthers to score points in this one. So, uh, New Orleans dialed in, locked in at home. I'm going to take a minus eight. Uh, I'm going to take a minus seven. So, oh, good, minus good luck seven? to you. I'm was that, was that what it, oh, I thought it was minus <laughs> yeah, eight was, the time. No, it was minus seven. Yeah, minus seven. So, uh, I'm going to take him too. Uh, one thing I wanted to say, 
is Cam Newton when he, you, you know when Cam Newton throws deep, how he like tilts his head at like a forty five degree angle, like right before he unloads. Yeah, is that the most exciting play in the sport? Because like anything can happen. Yeah, it's just, that's see that's kind of why I still like the uh, the uh, the like the current broadcast angle where you, where you're from the like where you're looking at it from the side because like when Cam cocks back and just launches it, you have no idea what's about to happen to that pass like. Is it going to be a touchdown to some like five nine receiver who probably shouldn't be in the league? Is it going to be an interception? Is it just going to be? Is there going to be absolutely no one in the vicinity of it? And uh, just like that little surprise that comes with Cam Newton, Cam Newton is always fun. All right, so let's recap: uh, Tennessee at Kansas City, we're both taking Kansas City minus eight. Atlanta at the Los Angeles Rams, we're both taking the Los Angeles Rams minus five and a half. Buffalo at Jacksonville, we're both taking Jacksonville minus nine. Carolina at New Orleans. Uh, we're both taking New Orleans minus seven. We're going straight favorites across the board. Uh, there's a prop out there where it's like, what what's the it, the highest point differential? And like over 20 and a half is like minus 160 or something. So there should be at least like one or two slop fests this week. Yep. Uh, so with that, let's dive into the mailbag questions. The first one is from... At Pat underscore OB underscore. What's more impressive, Hugh keeping his job at 1-31 and or Marvin Lewis keeping his job with no playoff wins in 15 seasons? Related, what is in the water in Ohio? Uh, <laughs> dude, I, I, I think it's got to be Hugh keeping his job at 1-31. and I think so, too, because the, the thing about Marvin Lewis is that you need context, right? Context of what the Bengals looked like before. Marvin Lewis, uh, Hugh Jackson, like, he's been worse than anyone. <laughs> like, he's literally been worse than anyone on the face of the earth. Uh, he lost to Landry Jones twice, dude. Twice. twice to, the, to the B team, to the JV Steelers. Like, <laughs> fucking God. The thing about Marvin Jones, too, is I wrote before the year in, our, uh, in uh, the update preview, uh, Marvin Jones was on the cusp of uh, clinching basically the longest head coaching career in the NFL uh, without recording a single playoff win, he was about to be uh, Jim Mora Sr. But the thing about Jim Mora Sr. is he had to bounce around teams to do it. Like, Marvin Lewis is the only guy who can stay entrenched and just, like, keep not w- making making it to the playoffs or not winning in the playoffs. But Hugh Jack, like, good fucking God, man. Like, I know we made Hugh Jackson job security jokes, but I never actually thought he was going to be able to keep his job. Like, everyone should be fired. I know, he and he did. They should like... fire the secretaries. Like, everyone. <laughs> like... Fire fire the freaking bellhops, everything. Everyone involved with Cleveland right now should be up. I would I would love to be a fly on the wall when Jimmy Haslam and Hugh Jackson are having their meetings. Like it's just gotta be a, a storm of the most insane things being said by two people who think they're being rational and sane at the same time. They're just blaming Sashi, bro. Right. Every but, every every single thing is Sashi's fault, I promise. And the the thing with the Browns is like they're not they're not bad enough to the point that they should have zero wins. Like I like I think three to five wins could have been possible just based on like what their roster looks like. I mean, I looked. I mean, I, we looked about it. Are we talking about on Twitter like a couple of days ago? Dom Capers won four games with the expansion Texans in two thousand two. Like they didn't have a roster the year before, and he won more games in one season than Hugh Jackson has in two. Like, how how do you? How do you keep your job? What's he saying? Like, I, I need to know what he's saying because he's 
because he's give us some hints or something like yeah exactly because he's <laughs> he's either talking mad it's game or he's either talking mad game or he's just saying like some crazy deranged people shit that maybe jimmy haslam is afraid to hire for the fire hugh jackson it's got to be one of the two i don't know I, I wonder how much of it is haslam being embarrassed by the sashi brown experiment because at least the the way the media is treating this and the way that people in the NFL seem to be treating this are completely different, where the media is very pro-process, over-results, all of that, right? And everything that we've heard from inside the NFL is everyone wants more Sashi Browns because they think that they can beat them at, at any point, and no one actually thinks that any Sashi Brown is ever going to be hired into that position ever. So I wonder if Haslam is just keeping Hugh Jackson just to fire him next year unless he has like a massive... I mean, he's going to need a massive progression next year, no matter what, right? But just keeping him for another year to kind of get the, the stench away from, you know, basically everyone is cracking Cleveland Brown jokes right now, like including anyone that he would be bringing in as a head coaching candidate. So I wonder if it's just like a let's wait this out thing. But if they go like 0-16 again, like we're going to have to fold the franchise or like move them to St. Louis or something. Like we just can't. Yeah, uh, and that kind of leads into the next question from our good friend at 14 Team Mocker. Hi, first time, long time. Love the show. Why do you keep pretending the Browns were trying to win? Why do you ignore that winning a few games would have given them pick seven or eight instead of one and would have been objectively bad and hurtful? Thanks. Okay, okay. well, here's my answer to this. And I I think that this is like what ultimately... I don't know if it ultimately drove the divide, but I think that Hugh might have used this in his favor to keep his job. And Mm -hmm. I mean, like this... See, I think that uh, Sashi and Paul De Podesta, like they were okay with losing the games in order to get the draft picks and you know just go on full on tank mode. Uh, I think that they were okay with that. Uh, Sashi, Sashi interviewed his replacement because he thought he was good. Right, uh, just unbelievable levels of snakeness going on in the, in the Browns. <laughs> uh, office or uh, like owners front office it's just a mess but see what I, what I think is I think that Sashi and Paul DePodesta they were okay with losing but you know when you get down to a coaching level and a, a player level I don't think that those guys that were on the field every Sunday I don't think they were actively trying to lose you know like a lot do, though, do not give Greg Williams a pass he was actively trying when he was putting, putting uh, Jabril Peppers in punt mode right and you know it, it's you're, you you can never convince me that these guys get up and you know they work out and they go through all this treatment and they practice and they watch film and they study their playbooks and you'll go through all the rigors of like a, a normal NFL week just to try to lose on Sunday I, I don't think it, you could ever convince me of that uh, I, I, I think that uh, maybe Sashi and Paul DePodesta, they they scheduled, they put together a roster at first that was going to lose a lot of games, but I don't think that the players and the coaches were actively trying to lose. Just too much work goes into that, you know? Yes, and there are certain things where you clearly saw incompetence, where in free agency, they missed the f- first few days of free agency um, because they didn't realize how fast the schedule was going to move including the loss of, uh, what, what was his name, Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle, who talked about they lowballed and then they like came back to him too late in the process after he already had a deal, basically. And that's not how free agency works. It was, it was very clear that at times there were outsiders who were trying to steer the ship and that they, they weren't really seeing eye to eye on, uh, ex- uh, they weren't executing in the right way. I guess the, the 
trade deadline trade is probably a bigger story that caught on, right? The AJ McCarron one, where they just couldn't figure out how to trade. Yeah, and uh, you know, just like going... they were they were actively trying, and like there were certain circumstances where you could see them actively trying, even if they were make, tr- about to make horrible decisions, but they couldn't even make the horrible decisions because they couldn't execute. And I think that is worrisome a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the thing with with uh, why I don't think that the players. And the, and the coaching staff were actively trying to lose, even if the roster set them up to do so. Was uh, you remember last year when there was still some uh, competition for the number one overall pick going into that week sixteen game uh, against the Chargers? I don't remember who they were in competition with. I guess the Forty Niners or the uh, yeah, they had, had, had to be the Forty Niners because yeah, they were horrible. But remember, like Hugh and the players, they cried after they won that game and they got to one fourteen just because they have put in all that work and you lose week after week after week after week after week, and you know, and they're trying to win, like they're giving it their all to actually go out and try and win a game. So I, I, I just don't. I think that there's a disconnect there for Hugh and Sashi, perhaps. But hey. It's not like Hugh was was killing it out there either this year. I mean, they went zero and sixteen. They went zero and sixteen. Like I think they're act. I think they're trying to win a game, but uh, they just couldn't get it done. So uh, they kept changing quarterbacks too. That's the other thing is Deshaun Kaiser clearly looked like a fish out of water at the beginning of the year, and he pulled him to put someone else in. And if he would have lucked into someone who could actually play quarterback half decent, that would have blown up this hypothetical plan, right? Right. Right, like it, like let's let's say, uh, let's say Deshaun Kaiser gave you like whatever the Josh McCown gave the Jets this year, and maybe you go five and eleven. Like I'm pretty sure Sashi probably still has his job at that point. Probably, yeah. I, that, that's one thing I can't remember what group chat we were in, but we were talking about how like one in thirty one is something that like your mind can almost not wrap around, like. It, it might be like 140 consecutive Sundays that the Cleveland Browns haven't won a football game or something like that. Like, I don't think – I think you can sell an owner on we're going to rebuild, but I don't think you could sell an owner on we're not going to win as, on a single Sunday for basically, you know, three years minus a season, right? Yeah, and I mean, 1-31s, it mean, <laughs> it's pathetic. Like, it's – it, it's it, awful. And for, for Hugh to, oh my God, for Hugh to come out and say, there's no one else that could have done this job, dude, literally anyone could have done it because you didn't win a game. Like, <laughs> I, could have, I could have been the head coach of the Browns this year and gone 0 16, you know? Yeah, and here's, here's the other thing as we were talking about last week about Hugh Jackson, why we think he and John Dorsey are going to see basically Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Another thing that I think comes into play is Eric Stoner's talked about how teams basically adapt the personality of the, the head coach or the quarterback, whichever one has a stronger personality, right? And right now, it's clear that Hugh Jackson is in front of this team in the face of this team. But if they draft someone like Baker Mayfield, like Baker Mayfield will like come out in like a Cleveland Rocks t-shirt or something like that when Hugh Jackson says shit like that. So I think, I think that kind of hurts him. And Josh Allen, just because Josh Allen, like, or Josh Rosen, because Josh Rosen, we know what his voice sounds like, and he seems to like to talk and be like a smart, smart human in his early twenties. Uh, I think I think that plays that helps uh, get uh, what's his name? I'm spacing on his name. The USC quarterback, Darnold. Darnold, Darnold, and Josh Allen 
I think that helps their case land in Cleveland at either number one or number four, whatever it may be. Yep. Uh, so that was a huge run-on answer. But the next question... St- State of the Browns podcast. Yeah, State of the Browns. And the next question is about the Browns uh, from at Rude underscore Sue. Was there anything positive that came from the Browns' final stretch with Josh Gordon finally active? Did he make them any better or did it not matter? It didn't matter because Kaiser was just so bad. Uh, Kaiser missed him a lot. Um, yeah. Charles McDonald wrote a piece about about uh, Josh Gordon for Football Outsiders where he neglected to talk about uh, when Demarius Randall shut the, shut him down for three and a half quarters. But other than that, no, Josh, Josh Gordon yeah, you, couldn't yeah, really I make a splash. Watch, I didn't even watch that whole game, so. Smart, because yeah, you just needed to watch the first drive. The first I, drive, I, they're like, we're going to motion him, and we're going to put him on Morgan Burnett. And then the rest of the game, he like Demarius Randall was on him like 95% of the snaps, I think PFF said, and basically didn't give him an inch during the rest of the game. Here's what I did. I, I went to uh, the gameplay finder on Pro Football Reference, and I put it in for uh, Browns versus Packers plays featuring Josh Gordon, went to the timestamps on Game Pass, and then just saved the plays. I didn't watch anything else from that game <laughs> besides Kaiser's like last play in overtime when he, oh man, like that interception he had to end the game for the Browns. <laughs> it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> I just flail back in between like twenty defenders and fling it up. We uh, talk about we talk about Cam Newton putting his head up at a forty five degree angle. Like his was beyond a ninety degree angle. He might have been looking at the end zone behind him. Yeah, it would. He mean that didn't have a prayer. So uh, yeah, it didn't matter because Kaiser was bad. Uh, next question from. At Hank Jones, why are people Bills fans? And what else are you going to do in Buffalo? I don't know if we should call them people. <laughs> I don't know. That that's, might, might be a little strong. I don't know. It's probably the same reason people go to, like, monster truck rallies, right? It's like, I'm going to see shit get smashed, and I might walk away sad, but I'm going to be drunk. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's cold, and people tend to make irrational decisions when they're cold. Uh, next question from... I'm happy for... Nothing would make me happier than this Tyrod Taylor team beating the New England Patriots. Oh, well, yeah, I would... Oh, my God, I would love that. Just because I would... It would, <laughs> it would need... Bill's, fan, Bill's fans just need to shut up for a little bit uh, about Tyrod. It, you have so many things wrong with your team. And, oh, they hate and, him. They, they hate him so I know, much. It doesn't make sense because they have so many things wrong with their it's team. Him, it's, him, it's him and Dak, and you could put two and two together and figure out what the issue there is, but... Right. Good God, like, Dallas Cowboys fans are like... I, We've seen I've seen at least five different Dallas Cowboys fans talk about drafting a quarterback in this next draft. It just doesn't I'm make it doesn't are you make crazy any sense because like with Tyrod, like Matt Ryan led the Falcons to the Super Bowl. Don't you think like with the right pieces around him and in solid defense, Tyrod Taylor could get you to a Super Bowl? Like that wouldn't blow me away. And you look at the Bills, uh, just like where they were for the update on our website. Uh, 31st in sack percentage on defense, so they can't rush the passer. 25th in yards per rush value, so they can't stop the run. Uh, 30th in first down percentage value. Uh, they were actually 8th in adjusting that yards per attempt value, which is kind of weird. I think it's it's very interception heavy and Trey yeah, White has it's great. Be, because they're, they are 11th in uh, turnover percentage value. But on offense, 30th in sack percentage value, 29th in tackle for loss percentage value. Uh, 14th in yards per rush value, and you don't know what's going to happen with Shady moving forward because uh, he's, he's kind of getting up there in age. I just think that when you look at what's wrong with this team, you have so many th- other things wrong besides Tyrod Taylor. Go get some receivers, go get an offensive line, and go get a pass rush. And I, I can guarantee you that you will be feeling a lot better about Tyrod Taylor. It's fine. McDermott just traded his entire team for, like, fifth-round picks. So Yeah, so they, def- they definitely know <laughs> what they're doing there. Uh 
Next question from at SpokenFlow22. Is 6 line a fixture of the future? Started seeing a lot last year. Vikings did on 28 snaps last week. No, I don't I don't think 6 line is a fixture of the future. Um, I think it it could be depending on the team, but it basically comes down to whatever your tight end talent is. Because I know Houston did it a lot even last year. We were talking about that New England Patriots game in the playoffs. Yeah. Where they were basically they were playing like a, a wing offensive lineman, basically. Who would pick up guys off the edge just because their their tight ends, uh, basically there was no difference based on situation of their tight ends and their offensive linemen. And if you're not going to run routes with that tight end, and everyone knows that tight end is going to block, you might as well just have an offensive lineman out there. I know one thing Minnesota does is in short yardage situations like second and short, um, they're they're one of the most run heavy teams in the league. Like they basically do not pass. I think I checked it a couple of weeks ago, and I think they had one single pass in a short yardage situation on second down, and it was Case Keenum throwing a touchdown from, like, the two-yard line or something like that off play action. So um, it doesn't surprise me that Minnesota's the team, but I think it would depend team to team, and it would depend almost exclusively on tight end talent. Because if you have someone like uh, Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski, there would be absolutely no reason why you would need to do this at all. Ever. Uh, I remember there was there was a game last year. It was the Raiders on Sunday night. Uh, they were hosting the Broncos last season, and they were—I guess maybe they—they they weren't confident in Clive Walford, which is fine because he kind of stinks. But uh, they were—they had Denver Kirkland out there as their sixth offensive line, and they were just down blocking and pulling and just mashing Denver at the point of attack. I mean, they—they they just beat the hell out of them. So like, it's kind of fun like to watch that. Uh, at, like in in certain games, it's fun to watch. But I think if you're using six offensive line a lot, you should probably just go find yourself a tight end. The problem is there's like there's like none of them. So there's one thing that I'll say because I think. Uh, so well, basically, you're, I've been I feel running... like you're sacrificing a lot of speed if you're using six offensive line a lot. And the, the Vikings well, did it on 28 snaps last week because they already had everything locked up. Yeah, I would I would try not to pass and get Adam Thielen or Stephon Diggs hurt. Yeah. But uh, one thing that I will say is I've been doing a bunch of third down market share stuff because I think setting the edge, if you don't know, is going to go into some Debbie stuff this offseason just because I think the whole Debbie market is a little bit messed up. But I've been looking at like tight ends and things. And like when you look at teams like Oklahoma, right, who uh, Mark Andrews from Oklahoma just declared today, the way they use him on third down compared to the average team in college football is totally different. Like. No other team in the Big 12 has a returning tight end who has a market share of over 5%. So one of every 20 yards going to a tight end, and he is at like 20-something. So he's more than four times uh, more than four times a more go-to receiver on third or fourth down for Oklahoma than any other team in this conference. Like A lot of tight end production and a lot of how you use tight ends and things like that is basically – based off of how talented your tight ends are, not based off of, you know, whatever the philosophy of your offensive coordinator is, unless you're Gary Kubiak. Yep. Uh, all right. That's a, that was, I feel like it's a good question. Or, or Yeah, good question in a, in a solid answer. Next question from at first round QB, Kenny Darter. Best fit for Green Bay's offensive coordinator, McAdoo, which is spelled wrong, Philbin, or... <laughs> A ma- or a magic eight ball where all the sides of its uh, for or a magic eight ball where all the sides of the die say air it out. Um, I'm gonna have to go with the eight ball. 
because it's the eight ball, like hands down is the, the eight ball is minus five fifty. Yeah, uh, that that's pretty easy. It how how is McAdoo in the running for for uh, their offensive coordinator? Like, how is that a thing? I don't know, but they're they're not going to call plays anyway. Like, but you know, Ben McAdoo, Joe Philbin, Edgar Bennett just got moved down, demoted from offensive coordinator back to either running back coach or receiver coach. They haven't decided yet. But none of those guys have called plays. I think Philbin called either Philbin or McAdoo called plays one year in 2014. Or no, that was a different. God damn, that was a different dude. That was Tom Clements, who used to be the quarterback coach, called plays in 2014 and got that stripped from him halfway through the year. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, this is going to be whoever is holding scout team cards for Mike McCarthy. So I don't know, man. All I know is Mike McCarthy has one year to figure this shit out and I'm very happy about his back being against the wall because either him being gone or Green Bay getting to at least the NFC Championship game would be good. All right. Uh, next question from fa- at Falcons underscore Andy. What would your draft philosophy be in late rounds if you were a GM? Role players, special teamers, high risk but high upside or other? Well, I mean, anyone can play special teams. Like at that point, like you're going to be on special teams even if you're playing in on offense or defense, so uh, yeah. I, I full, would. Full, I think I think there's like four fullbacks in the NFL who play more on offense than special teams right now. Yeah, uh, so special teamers like I'm not drafting a special teamer. I'm I'm drafting say a running back with the with the knowledge that he's going to be playing special teams in his rookie year at least, unless he just comes out and looks like Ezekiel Elliott or something. Uh, but I, I think you just got to go with like athletic guys at that point and and just roll the dice on those guys. I told you what I would do, honestly, because I don't think they matter that much. I would just give them to use them as morale chips, basically. Just be like, hey, look, after I became a uh, dictator on draft day and nudged all you guys around for the four, first four rounds, I'm letting you pick your, your pet project prospect basically in the fifth sixth and seventh round or i trade away all those picks for veterans yeah uh yeah i mean when you look at what most guys drafted you know people will keep bringing up antonio brown and tom brady and that that just does not happen often man i mean yeah you're more likely to find a guy who's not even going to make your team in the year they drafted him than you are to find a b or or tom brady like I mean, the Falcons like they they there's there's fifth round pick like the the dude wasn't the dude who from uh, Wyoming yeah they, that you guys drafted he was a fifth round pick Green they, Bay drafted uh, Malachi Dupree in the fifth round from LSU I think it was either him or the Purdue guy whichever one it was didn't make the team like fifth rounders don't make teams all the time yeah so uh, yeah because Brian Hill he eventually got cut down to uh, the Falcons practice squad and the Bengals poached him so I mean in at first like. I was upset, and I was like, then I thought about it for five minutes, like, who cares? Because uh, a fifth round pick, uh, I don't really care about this. And I, I think if if we kind of realize that those picks don't matter, I feel like I feel like that would improve draft coverage a lot too, though. And 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 it would give, I think it would give fans a better sense of of exactly what they're giving up. Like when you see a Marcel Darius get traded for a sixth round pick, or or a Sammy Watkins get traded for a second round pick, like what are they? actually getting back and it's not it's not always pretty it's not always like the hope trafficking that it that it's portrayed to be no have you heard have you heard my theory on what we should do with the draft i don't think so other other than disband it completely right i'm i'm also very a very large proponent of just getting rid of the draft completely just having open free agency getting rid of the salary cap all that 
Um, but I really do think we could cut it down to like three rounds and then just have compensatory picks and just be like, yep, we're done. And now call a tree agency because anything beyond that is by accident. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I, I mean, because and we, yeah, we exactly. Should, I, I feel I, I, we, we should reward intent more than just getting something done by accident. Yeah, because I mean, once you get to, I think I think once you get past the fourth round, like come on, like when, once it becomes your turn again, you've already passed on this guy you're about to pick. You've already passed him four times. So, uh, how how important is he is he really to you? I remember there there are a couple of times on draft weekend that I just remember things every year like Rodney Gunter when he was drafted out of Delaware State and NFL Network didn't have any film of him and he was drafted in the fourth round. Um, I think last year Kansas City drafted a I think this is true I might be wrong drafted the second player from West Georgia which is a D two school and he the second the second pass rusher from West Georgia which was a D two school. And they moved him to like fullback, but everyone had projected him to defensive end. So like once we get to the fifth round, we're not even projecting guys to the right position and things of that nature. No, like there's just no point. Like it's for television, essentially. That's the only purpose of rounds five through seven. Yep. Uh, All right. So I hope that answers your question, Falcons, Andy. Next question from at Dave Kang. You should read his stuff on setanetch.com. He's actually he's actually really dope at this. Uh, Very smart. Best fits for head coach openings. I mean, what what's open right now? So we have Oakland, Indianapolis. Well, Oakland, uh, New York Giants has an asterisk next to it because we know Green's about to take okay. the job. Fair, very fair. Uh, Arizona, Chicago, the Giants, Indianapolis, and there's a fifth one somewhere. Arizona, Detroit. Oh no, Detroit. Yep. Arizona is open. I said that first. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for uh, listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for any of them, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that Chris Richard is going to get some some hype just because Seattle defensive coordinator. Blah, blah, blah. I think uh, I was looking at, damn, there was a sheet that someone posted. Uh, the only black coordinator or black head coaching candidate, and he, you know, he could have been a positional coach, who is getting multiple interviews right now, I believe, is Carolina the Carolina Panthers defensive coordinator whose name I'm spacing out on and I'm going to look up right now. Mike Shula, defensive coordinator. Good oh, God. Steve Wilkes. If, if, Steve Wilkes. Yeah, Steve Wilkes. If uh, if Mike Shula got multiple head coaching, uh, head coaching requests, I'd probably freak out. There's no way he's getting a head coaching job, right? He's awful. Uh, no, he's terrible. He, if if he was going to get one, he should have left after that Super Bowl run they went on. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of things that have gone weird with Manning's and Super Bowls. So here's another thing that I've been looking. Okay, I'll t- I'll talk. We're gonna go on a rant a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, I have looked up the last two decades of Super Bowl winners. Okay, and you know how we are big on the difference between how many games that you've won by multiple scores compared to how many games that you've lost by multiple scores is basically a reflection of what your team is in close games are essentially luck, right? Yeah. Okay. So I looked at the last two decades of Super Bowl winners and tried to figure out who the luckiest Super Bowl winners were based off of that to try to find a baseline of like how good teams have to be to win a Super Bowl, and then I was going to use that to gamble on stuff. And it didn't really change my perspective at all because the teams that I thought were Super Bowl caliber were the guys 
that ended up passing this filter. But the four luckiest teams over the last two decades to win a Super Bowl were all either – it was two Peyton Manning Super Bowl wins and two Eli Manning Super Bowl wins. That's crazy. What it's the luckiest mean, family. In the sport. So, what do you mean by lucky? Like, how were they lucky to make that? So, the, uh, I believe the two New York Giants teams that won the Super Bowl were one of them was like five and five in games decided by eight or more points, and the other one was like three and three. I think one of those Super Bowl teams was nine and seven, and the other one was ten and six. And then I think the two Peyton Manning, two of the Peyton Manning Super Bowl teams, one of them was the Denver one. That defense the, was the so la- good, though. The, yeah, the last Denver one. Um, I think they were two games. They, they won two more games than they had lost. And, like, every other one was, like, six. <laughs> like, they by far were the, the luckiest. They're the worst, the worst teams in the regular season to, to later than win a Super Bowl, which is kind of weird when we think of Peyton Manning as, like, regular season win stats guy who chokes in the playoffs when that didn't end up being true kind of down the stretch, even though, God damn, that last year was pretty awful what he had like 11 touchdowns and like 17 interceptions or something yeah he he, had, he got benched for brock osweiler in that chiefs game he threw like four picks in the first half and then he got benched but hey I still i still can't believe that panthers team lost to him man i mean you give von miller an elite secondary and uh that's that's gonna be pretty hard to beat <laughs> and the end that was when they had malik jackson and Derek wolf too it's like no one could run on them either so uh i mean that, that and like that Brand, Brandon, awesome. Brandon Marshall and like Danny Trevathan were like on the inside. Yeah, that team was just that was stacked awesome. top to bottom on D. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of sucked to watch them age a little bit. Not Vaughn, but like the, the secondary a little. Uh, but man, when they were at their peak, that defense was just incredible. You remember that that uh, that uh, the game against they had against Green Bay and Mike McCarthy kept kept calling out like all these ISA routes so so Wade just sat and covered one and just smothered everyone. That was that was real oh, cool to see. That was that was that was like halfway into the year, right? Yeah. It was, I think it was I remember that, that game. If you go back and check, I can tell you exactly. So I think it was Denver. There was a stretch where they played like the Rams, the Chargers and the Broncos. It, yeah, it must have been that same year because they played the Chargers. Um I whichever one was first, the Rams or the Chargers game. That was the game that people figured out Green Bay cannot separate with their receivers at all. And from there on for the rest of the season, I think that was the year that Green Bay went like 9-7 and seven or something like that, snuck into the back end of the playoffs because they got a lucky game against Chicago uh, at the end where Randall Cobb caught like a 60-yard touchdown, which like doesn't happen in real life unless it's the Packers against the uh, Chicago Bears. From that moment on was when teams were just like, yep. We could just play cover one or cover cover one or cover zero, and like we'll basically shut down this offense completely. Uh, yeah, I kind of tuned out at the end there, but good points. Head 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 coaching openings. Yeah, let's get, okay. Let's get them filled. Uh, Giants. Giants is called the best job. I don't actually know if it is the best job, but I, who who who's the number one coaching candidate in your opinion? I would try to see if I could hire Flip from the Eagles, because you're you're about to have a new quarterback coming in, so. What if what if you're already committed to Elon Manning? Because it seems like they're already committed, unfortunately. Well, then the head coach doesn't matter, and David Gelman should probably be fired right now. All right, awesome. Okay, so we're giving him flip. <laughs> uh, Detroit, who are you? Who are you getting the job to? Um, Pat Shermer. Uh, I, I, I wow. There we go. Are you that impressed with Shermer? Because I understand Shermer is doing a lot with a little, but I'm not sure if he he's not he's not Kyle Shanahan. You know what I mean? He's no. not doing all sorts of creative pre-snap stuff or anything like that. He's not Sean McVay. But you give him a second shot? Yeah, just because I think he learned from the first time. And who knows? Everything, everything everything in Cleveland is bad. So 
maybe it was just the air in Cleveland that kind of poisoned him and made him be bad in Cleveland. But uh, I, I I like the way he's orchestrated this Minnesota offense, and I think that if you look at the the uh, the Lions offense, like if they can make some changes up front, I don't see why the why they can't run their offense as smoothly as the uh, the Vikings did this year next season. So. Uh, I mean, especially with how good Marvin Jones was this year, and Golden Tate's uh, a stud, obviously. So, like, they they should be able to 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 be a pretty good offense next year. And I think that Pat Shermer, if he can hire a good defensive coordinator or maybe someone who thinks outside the box a little bit, that'd be a, a good change for for Detroit. Uh, Chicago, Chicago. Uh, we've talked about this. They're, lo- they're looking for a quarterback guy. Yeah, I know. They, they, they come out and talked about how uh, Trubisky is going to be part of the interviewing process, and Ryan Pace definitely wants to look at a guy who's quarterback centric. Yeah, uh, the guy that I, you know, he, the guy that we've, we've talked about before, like with Eric and and Hank and them, but uh, this there's this coach. He's the offensive coordinator for the Rams right now. So I mean, obviously, he's not really doing too much on game day, at least. Uh, but Matt Lafleur, so. He was the offensive quality control coach for the Houston Texans from 2008-2009, quarterback coach for the Washington Redskins for 2010-2013. So he was there for you know RG3's big year there, and then uh, got some hands-on time with Kirk Cousins. Then uh, after that, he was a quarterback's coach for Notre Dame, where he got, he coached up Everett Golson enough to get— And recruited the, Deshaun Kaiser, and the, number one quarterback. Right. He, so he—, he uh, Got Ever Golson played to a level where Florida State felt like he would be a positive addition to their program. Uh, and then he was in Atlanta for 2015, 2016, and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Rams. He was the quarterback's coach in Atlanta. So he's gotten a lot of time underneath some of the best offensive minds in the game. Uh, so like Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, uh, you know, Jay Gruden, I guess, if you want to put him in that sphere. But uh this Brian guy, Kelly. Yeah, Brian Kelly. <laughs> so he, he's coached a lot of good players. He's seen what progress looks like. And obviously, you know, he, he's still kind of young. He's only 38 years old. But I think if you want to take a shot for the fences with a guy who has been around a lot of successful offenses and knows kind of what makes that work and you have a young quarterback, let's go outside the box and hire Matt LaFleur. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts job is open. I, I got to ask you about one candidate because you got two, two candidates actually because they're probably the biggest names right now. Three three candidates I would say. God damn, I'm just gonna expand this list. Uh, just give me like three words on like Josh McDaniels, uh, what's his name, Matt Patricia, and uh, Schwartz, Jim Schwartz. Jim Schwartz, thumbs up. I would say. Or same. Because uh, the thing is, you you can kind of let like if you just let him run the defense and you have a strong, strong offensive coordinator, I have no issue with that. I I think that that can. There there have been people like who are as smart as Jim Schwartz who have won Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, Josh McDaniels. Uh. Good. I mean, I think, like, if you have a team like the Colts, like, for Andrew Luck, that that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if I would trust him, like, to start from scratch after uh, he drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. But, yeah, I, I think if you have a quarterback in place, McDaniels makes a lot of sense. Uh, Matt Patricia. Boo. Like, I would be pissed if my favorite team hired Patricia. They are not good this year, and I don't understand why he's, like, the most popular head coaching candidate. I'm not really sure. I don't I don't get that one. Um Another question uh, before we we fill in the last two jobs in the NFL. 
Uh, if you were the New England Patriots, were you rooting for Bill O'Brien to get fired so you can have him be, you know, head coach of the future? Or do you think that McDaniels or I guess you don't like Patricia, but McDaniels or Patricia or Bill O'Brien, who, who would you rather have as head coach of the future there? Probably Bill O'Brien. Just because he's, he's had success taking some crappy teams to the playoffs and winning games in the playoffs. Agree. All right. So Indianapolis and then Arizona. You got to fill those last two jobs. Indianapolis, Josh McDaniels. Okay. O- over our uh, good friend uh, John Morton. No, and then I'm going to give the Arizona job to John Morton. All right. All all quarterback centric coaches. Yeah. That's every 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 single one of them. Every single one of them is a play caller or a quarterback coach. Yeah. Come on. Let's. Uh, these teams need to score some more points than they did this year. Detroit's issue wasn't scoring points. I don't know what happened to Detroit. I'm kind of a Detroit apologist right now because I think that team is better than people really realized. But uh, does, doesn't matter now. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter now. All right, last uh, – or no, here, go out, you ask the questions because uh, I can't even count. All right, la, next, second to last question from at Ryan underscore Kieran who writes stuff for Sending Edge. He's doing draft profiles now. His stuff on uh, – Very smart. Ronald Jones is good. Uh, how's Call of Duty going and also – who gonna win Brady and Belichick? Oh, who's gonna win Brady and Belichick's fight after they hate win their sixth ring? Uh, I'm gonna go with Belichick just because he can you probably use dark magic. And Call of Duty, I honestly have played like three times since I bought it. Complete waste of money, but eh, the game is a game. And the last question from at Star Wars Nerd seventy five: What's the over under on the number of days it will take Justice to die from pumping his own gas? Now, <laughs> if, if you don't know, Oregon recently just uh, so like the, they used to have people pump their own gas. They used to have people pump the gas for them, and now people have to pump their own gas. Attendants, you don't have to call them people. They have names. Attendants. I mean, I don't know what it is. We are normal people over here. We yeah. See, so gas. like, this is one thing that I realized was weird uh, at a very young age is that everyone isn't threatened by you're going to work at a gas station when you get older, if you don't get your shit together, like that's the threat in Oregon, I guess. Like everyone says it, like you got to make sure that you go to school so you don't end up pumping gas, like t- type of shit. Um, I'm not going to die from this cause I know how to pump gas. I've pumped gas many times. I've pumped gas into farm equipment and things like that for my job. So this has never been an issue for me, but I'm not sure how, so <laughs> here's a, here's a big issue. You know how Cuba is with, like, the embargo, how they can't get any cars? Yeah. So they have just, like, a bunch of old cars? Yeah. Okay. So that's, like, what Oregon is with gas pumps because they've never – because the attendants have to run the cars and stuff and go inside. Like, the closest gas station to uh, where I used to live in Hood River for sure, like, still had, like, the tin can World War II era, like, the numbers rolled on it you know what i mean like nothing's digital on it It like rolls and the guy goes inside to swipe your card so i don't know how like you pay because i've seen in like movies so i've pumped gas right for like jobs and things like that and that stuff it doesn't bother like you put it in the thing you hold it it lets gas go in it's not very hard to figure out but when i've been around people in other states like in washington and california and i think you got gas in mobile and i was still confused about this and i didn't want to tell you I can't tell if you swipe the card into the thing or if you go inside and you say, hey, can you put $20 on pump number or whatever? Like, do you always pay inside or outside or do you have an option or why would you ever pay inside if you could just swipe the card outside? That's one thing I'm very confused about. I remember being confused when I was 20 about what bar tabs were. And this is very similar. 
I just feel so sad for you guys. Like, I like it's no, just you like got... such 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 simple <laughs> things like to to not be confused about. I mean, you just yeah. So do you, you just... swipe the card? You swipe the card every time. You can do it. Or or you just or if you have some cash, just go inside and tell them I want this on. Pump. Either one. Yeah, either one doesn't matter. Uh, but but there was a Facebook post like when they broke the news on like some Oregon web page or some like some Oregon news website, and <laughs> some of the comments on here are just unbelievable. So from from Tina Good, not a good idea. There are lots of reasons to have an attendant helping. One is they need a job too. Many people are not capable of knowing how to pump gas and the hazards of not doing it correctly. Besides, I don't want to go to work smelling of gas when I, sm when I get on my hands and clothes. I agree, very bad idea. Thomas Malden, does no one consider the cumulative effects of breathing in small amounts of gas over time? Lung cancer rates will, sky will skyrocket. Who knows how this will affect other body systems? So just give it to the old, just give it to the other people. Like, like if that's your logic there, we should have nobody pumping gas then. Like, you, there shouldn't be an attendant because those. Are oh no no no! You don't understand what Oregon is like. Oregon is like, no, we are aware of what the problems are. Can we mask it? <laughs> that, that 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 is what that is the staple of Oregon. And then uh, Mike Perone, I've lived in this state all my life, and I refuse to pump my own gas. He refuses to pump his own gas. I had to do it once in California while visiting my brother, and almost died doing it. <laughs> this That's is a service. This is a service only qualified people should perform. <laughs> I will literally park at the pump and wait until someone pumps my gas. I can't even. <laughs> and then the last one. <laughs> The last one from Sandy Franklin, who has an NFL logo as her, uh, as a, uh, as her Facebook Abby. I don't even know how to pump gas, and I'm 62, native Oregonian. I say no thanks. I don't want to smell like gasoline. God, you, what is wrong with you people? I don't know, man. The state's weird. We don't have sales tax. Up until now, we couldn't pump gas. Most people still won't have to pump gas. By the way, it's like. 10% of counties or something like that. They allow this and it only is at night. Uh, basically, they can't pay attendance to like wait at gas stations at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know, man. This state's weird. A homeless person asked me one time for money and I didn't have any money on me. And then he brought out an iPad and was like, I take uh, – what was it? He said, I take card, Apple Pay, and Bitcoin. And I was like, I don't – sometimes this place doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh so this whole state is backwards. No one move here, bro. Yeah. So we uh, we covered a lot of ground in this one, but uh, that's going to conclude episode sixty-five of Setting the Edge. We will be. Uh, no, we got We got a sick. We got a sick people on someone. Oh, let's get Robert. We're going to get Ben Albright. Ben Albright. We're going to get, get, yeah, get, get Ben Albright. We're going to get Clemco later. No, no one tell Clemco. All right. So you guys got to remember the rules. No one tell anyone where you came from don't add us don't tag us in anything i just want you to at ben albright what's his what's his twitter i'm gonna look it up right now at i think albright it's albright NFL. albright nfl and ask him about his projection for uh josh allen as a tight end yep just ask him questions about josh allen being a tight end that's all i need at friend albright. of the show don't be mean don't be mean but yeah also don't tell anyone at albright nfl uh, ask some questions about Josh Allen being tight end. So that will conclude episode 65 of Setting the Edge. We'll be back next week after the wildcard games, and hopefully we will be happy, or at least I'll be happy with the Falcons win. So adios.